Hello and welcome to the Advanced Screening. My name is Justin Corbett and I am joined as always by my regular co-host Tom Kelly. How are you Tom? I'm dancing barefoot, Daisy Jones in the six, let's go! Apparently one of the number one shows in the world right now and you are chomping at the bit to talk about it. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Um, there's a lot I want to unpack about it. I don't think you've seen any of it, have you? I've seen two random episodes. Just uh... And that's good because I miss an episode and I watched the 30 second recap and it was almost like, got it, don't need to watch it. Yeah, it kind of uh, fills you in really quick. And also if you know the story of um, Fleetwood Mac, you kind, of, you kind of get what's happening and where it can potentially go. Yeah. Um, did you get over your little COVID illness? Eh. I'm fine. I'm like, to be honest, I went back to work on Monday and I felt way worse than I did at any point when I took a couple of days off <laughs> because I may have had like nine beers on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, perfect way to get over it. I know, great. So we are going to, uh, second week in a row, we're going to break some news here on the Advanced Screening Podcast. Uh, in case you haven't uh, been watching the news, it looks like for the first time I think in history, I don't really know, uh, a former president of the United States is going to be indicted. Uh, Donald Trump is due to be arrested, possibly by the time this comes out. So we, on political show, we said this last week, so we're not going to talk about that at all, except for the fact that please look it up because it has to do with him paying off a porn star he had sex with to uh, keep it quiet before the election. Um, instead of talking about that, we're going to talk about presidential movies or movies with legit presidents in them do you want to kick us off with your favorite president or movie with a good president in it favorite president favorite favorite president in a movie don't don't thank you barack obama 2008 to 2016 uh, i think the it's got to be bill right it's almost <laughs> like slaying um no sorry that's that's bad um an icon bill clinton uh, all right, all right, all right. Um, I don't know why I did Matthew McConaughey. I know. Did he ever say all right, all right, all right? I don't think so, but maybe like in behind closed doors, like, yeah. This is why we don't do political chat. We do movies with presidents in them. He he played the sax. Like, come on. He's, he's saying all right, all right, all right. Um, I've got a lot of movies. I might just spin through a couple if and you've, talk about it. So if you've got one that I've got, we'll talk about it longer. But yeah, give us give us a few off the top. First one, as in like favorite president of all time, it's Harrison Ford, right? What's he's not my favorite president of all time. That's going to go to Martin Sheen in The West Wing. But let's talk about Air Force One first because I know this is the film you've definitely seen. Harrison Ford as James Marshall in Air Force One. Um, this is this is peak American wet dream for their representatives. This is uh, Harrison Ford as a Vietnam War veteran and a Medal of Honor recipient who abandons his escape module in order to save his family on Air Force One. What a fantastic movie! I think we did this in our uh, action movie draft of the nineties. Uh, what 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 draws you to Harrison Ford as James Marshall? I think it's his versatility to just almost like doing foreign policy in Eastern Europe, but then also to kick somebody off a plane. I think that's what I'm in there for. The other thing I really like about this movie, other than being set on a plane, which is great, Gary Oldman is, again, doing vintage villain work in this film. That is, um, that's something that modern action movies miss. I was actually reading an article about the other day that uh, if you're going to do a 90s action film, just cast a British stage actor as your villain, a la Alan Rickman in Die Hard, Gary Oldman in Air Force One, 
John Lithgow in Cliffhanger. Just that's all you need. Just someone who's going to absolutely chew it up. And um, yeah, James James Marshall, uh, iconic get off my plane quote uh, at the end of the film. I looked this up. Uh, I wanted to see how badass he was and how much Americans love this. Uh, I looked up his kill count on the internet today. This is so great. It says James Marshall kills five people, which seems low, but it's notable that every single one of them says shot in the head by President James Marshall. So <laughs> his accuracy was on point, And I think that's something that really draws uh, gun-toting Americans to this fantastic president. He got head clicks, you know <laughs> what I mean? Only head he's, clicks. He's in bed with, what is it, the, um, what's the Rifle Association called again? <laughs> NRA. He's the... He's an NRA spokesman. He's racking up his um. What do you call it in like Call of Duty or Medal of Honor? Like kill streak. He's about to get a kill streak. Headshots only. I'm trying to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to look up who was Gary Oldman in this film as well. Uh, Igor. So who was Igor then? I think Igor was like Russian or Kazakhstani or something, and he was trying to free a um and a war criminal general from a Russian prison. Uh, something doesn't matter. All that matters is Harrison Ford's a president that's killing people with headshots. I'm up for that. Um, can I move on to a couple others or do you have another one that you want to go to? I've got a big one, but knock off a few of your, your smaller ones. I'll, I'll go on a bit of a rapid fire here. So I've got primary colors and that's got John Travolta playing a fictional <laughs> version of, um, Clinton. Oh, of Bill, sorry. I was just like mind fart then. So where he's not actually Bill Clinton, but it's a character very much based on Bill Clinton's characteristics and maybe a lot of his flaws. Um, uh, primary Colors, I've never seen and never even heard of this movie until I Googled uh, for this podcast uh, top movie presidents and he came up purely because of his like really likable but really schmarmy Bill Clinton kind of comp that he was doing and the uh, definite pitfalls that he as a character had. Well, that's the thing is like in the film is uh, John Travolta in this is Jack Stanton, the governor of Arkansas, which is the same state that Bill Clinton was the governor of. Um, And it's him running for president. And then Emma Thompson is the first lady, which she is perfect as the Hillary Light character. And it's pretty much going through the campaigning sort of uh, situation um, where it's not against the Republicans yet. It's all internal Democrats and the whole idea of covering up certain things from um, Jack Stannard's past. Uh, It's a really great film. It's thoroughly depressing on how the American (laughs) system works and who can get to the top. But, but it's also a very good portrait of Bill and Hillary as well, calling for power. Um, the, a couple ones after that, an, an actual proper biopic is W, where Josh Brolin plays um, as George W. Bush. The other one also related to that is JFK. So th- both of those movies are done by Oliver Stone. JFK is about the assassination of JFK, where Kevin Costner is like leading the investigation into it. So that's where you, you get the whole sort of meme about like the second shooter or the second spitter from Seinfeld. Yep. <laughs> second spitter from Seinfeld. You know the you know the episode? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know. I just can't believe you Keith dug Hernandez. I can't believe you dug deep for that reference. Well, the great thing about this is that Newman is in both. So Newman's <laughs> in that episode of Seinfeld where he gets spat on, but he's also in the film JFK. 
Um, a couple others was Vice, where that's going to link back into our succession chat later on. Vice is good. Christian Bale and Sam Rockwell playing um, George W. Bush and Christian Bale is playing Dick Cheney. And it's written and directed by Adam McKay, who then later on then makes Succession. Well, he's, he's, he doesn't make it. He's one of the executive producers on Succession with Will Ferrell. Yeah. Makes sense of that. And essentially um, directed the first episode and set the style for how they make that show moving forward. And then the last couple of references I know I'm going through quite a lot is uh, Frost Nixon. Yeah, I so, love Frost Nixon. Michael Sheen. It's such a great movie. Michael Sheen. As David Frost, um, where the whole idea, it's interviewing Nixon after he's left office in disgrace and he's been pardoned and going through that. And it's almost they're executing this investigation in preparation for the interview to get to catch Nixon in the interview, so to speak. And Sam Rockwell's also in that as too. And then the other one I wanted to make reference was uh, the Ides of March with... Uh, George Clooney and Ryan, a young Ryan Gosling, and similar to Primary Colors, these sort of pitfalls of these wonder candidates and sort of the things we do to cover things up that they do. Yeah, I think um, I think to touch on Frost Nixon uh, is a really good watch and didn't get enough views for anyone who wants kind of a good political drama without too much because um, it's the story of the fact that Nixon wouldn't do any interviews and the only person he'd interview was like a chat show host or something. I think uh, that's what... Pretty f- much Michael Parkinson, like yeah. this softball UK interviewer. Yeah, softball UK interviewer who um, had never done anything like this and they were kind of like, no one was trusting that he'll get the information out of Nixon that he could and then he catches him in that that lie right at the end where he says, um, are you saying that presidents can do anything illegal? And it's the famous line of Nixon saying, I'm saying when a president does it, it's not illegal. Uh, you touched on um, Newman being in JFK, which uh, is a good segue into one of mine, which is Veep. Oh, great shout. Veep uh, is on Binge for Australian audiences. Uh, one of the best comedies of the last 10 years where Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus uh, from Seinfeld plays the vice president. And it's a comedy of uh, essentially the worst, most absolute scum of the earth that tend to inhabit um, politics in the US. Understandably, it went a little downhill when she actually became president, but telling that story of all these terrible, terrible people who are essentially trying their best to not do any work but look important. What am I supposed to do now? Tell me that. I'm supposed to call Doyle and beg him to come back? I'm the vice president of the United States, you stupid little fuckers. These people should be begging me. That door should be half its height so that people can only approach me in my office on their goddamn motherfucking knees. That's the kind of stuff you get from this show. And we can't talk about presidents in movies without talking about Bill Pullman as the incredibly named Thomas J. Whitmore from Independence Day. Um, Again, a lot like Harrison Ford in Air Force One, he's a former fighter pilot and a Gulf War veteran. Uh, I don't really understand why every president in movies needs to be a veteran of some kind, and yet they're, I don't even remember the last president that was some kind of veteran, but Americans seem to love it. It's very common as a, as a trope that like a candidate has military sort of a background where you look at it 
So Pete Buttigieg has a military background and he ran really hard on that. And then also like John McCain in 2008 was like a war hero from the Vietnam War where he was like a, uh, a prisoner of war. And then sort of that was part of his sort of character and persona that it's almost like, I'll never let you down. POW, McCain was a POW for five years uh, yeah. during the Vietnam War. Um, it's interesting that they don't seem to... I mean, Pete, for someone who was like mid-30s and no one knew who he was, he made it pretty far in their primary, but they don't seem to gravitate to real-life veterans the way that they do in films. I think it buys them credibility in a candidate's race. And Bill Pullman, as President Whitmore, has one of the greatest quotes in movie history... We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. The last person I had, uh, just because he plays a president all the time, is Morgan Freeman in every second movie he's ever been in. Um, but I really like him in Deep Impact, uh, which is the under- oh, underrated brother to Armageddon. Came out the same year as Armageddon, asteroid heading toward Earth, and that was the much more exciting movie. So not as many people saw Deep Impact but it just gets a mention here because of the classic U.S. presidential response to a natural disaster, which is um, if an asteroid is hurtling towards Earth, let's send astronauts up to nuke that son of a bitch. Armageddon, baby. Armageddon, Deep Impact, everything. Loses a point uh, in Deep Impact because Morgan Freeman's name in this film is Tom Beck, which is just the lamest president name in history. So loses a point That's for a that. a lame duck president. They're a, they only served a term, Tom Beck. Tom Beck only serves a term. <laughs> we got to talk about the science of Armageddon in a later episode of what Bruce Willis <laughs> is doing in that. The last thing I wanted to touch on is actually my favourite television show of all time, and it's Aaron Sorkin's The West Wing from 1999 to 2006. Yep. They had, uh, it's looking like over 200 episodes or so, or maybe even 400, I can't remember, because it was 22 episode seasons. They did eight seasons. Phenomenal show. Rob Lowe, Bradley Whitford, Alison Janney, um, Martin Sheen. It's fantastic. It's a stacked cast, especially the early years. Also, then, our favourite guy from um, the, the prequel series, Jimmy Smith, as uh, President Matthew Santos, and Alan Alder is the Republican candidate at the end during the, during the election. Um, I love that show so dearly. It's what actually spurn my sort of interest in politics so i'll shut up now <laughs> for for an australian podcast doing um presidential movies as a joke because of trump you pulled out a lot of presidential content are you secretly uh, a big american politics fan i'm an american file for sure Amer- um, american file <laughs> Is i don't what know what, what um, uh, i'm gonna look it up u.s file america file americano file a person who greatly admires or favors America or things from American culture. I definitely think we prefer or favor things from American culture if we're doing a television and film podcast. Yeah, look, we uh, don't... Uh, I mean, you're doing your best to touch on things like Class of 07, but I don't remember the last Australian TV show I watched, which isn't good for well, me as an Australian gotta, podcast. 
maybe you've got to fix that. Daisy Jones and the Six. That was that was the next thing. You've got thoughts. Tell us. Oh well, do do we want to launch straight into it, or do you want to talk about anything you've been saying, or? Look, I think I think I think you've got a bit more to say about Daisy Jones. So I'll I only watched one new thing over the weekend, and that was the um, Apple TV Plus show Extrapolations, which is <sighs> grim grim weekend watching. You're breathing like many of the characters do in Extrapolations. Um, so this is the new, very expensive looking series uh, from Apple TV and Scott Z Burns about climate change um set kind of i think it's going to be about eight episodes and every episode is going to be a decade apart starting in 2037 have you seen much about it i've read about it but i also like opened up the guardian this morning and it was more like we've only got like seven years to fix this otherwise we're fucked um and it's more like i i messaged you today about that it's almost like i know we're fucked um i would like it not to be fucked um, but I also don't want to watch a TV show about me being fucked, frankly. Um, I think it's just such a hard subject matter to grapple with where it's not like other sort of things where it's more of a societal sort of shift in norms and our attitudes towards things. This sort of thing I feel completely and utterly powerless. And I think everyday people feel completely and utterly powerless about it because this is thing that sort of nation states and uh, like multinational or companies are sort of guilty of and are the only ones that can actually change anything and it's more like like uh, I, what what am i I'm, it's not like blade runner where it's almost like oh like dystopian future but oh some things are cool flying cars <laughs> and like holograms and like harrison ford is cool um where this just seems misery yeah you um i've only watched the first step but you kind of touched on yeah, actually, the thing that I like about the show is that um, even though it's a show for everyday people, I feel like it's kind of trying to roll people up to protest or do more than be miserable because it doesn't shy away. There's like some rich characters played by Kit Harrington and a few others. And what I liked about it, despite it being incredibly grim, is it's not shying away from the fact that ordinary people can't do anything. There's some ordinary people in the show who are just fucked in their situation and there's nothing they can do except try to be a little less fucked in their own world and they're really putting the spotlight on these rich, quote-unquote, Elon Musk characters who are just fucking everything over. Um, This Kit Harrington character essentially uh, is using the opportunity of the melting Arctic caps in Greenland to send people up there and mine for nickel and cobalt and all this shit that's going to be used for batteries in the future. And they're not, they're not trying to make him sympathetic at all. It's just like, no, this guy absolutely sucks. That sounds like a Roman Roy move, but like that would be funny, you know, if that's Roman in succession and that's the move. He's playing, he's doing Roman Roy stuff just without the humor, which is, again, depressing. And you mentioned, and this is the thing that kind of really... Not that I can do anything. I'm not going to recycle more. I'm not going to seek out plastic uh, paper straws because this show essentially says it doesn't do shit. But what you mentioned that scared the shit out of me was in the show, there's this point, the very first episode is arguing about uh, they set a warming target of 1.5 degrees, which is essentially what all the governments did right now for 2035. And then the show is set 
around that time where all the governments are arguing whether or not they should increase that target to two degrees. So essentially let them um, use up more carbon and have a higher kind of threshold for warming. And that was kind of like, oh, that's scary. And then literally the next day we woke up and they had an article about the fact that we've used up about 30% of our carbon emissions that were meant to get us to 2035 warming. So a lot of money, it looks really good, but it's depressing and there's not really a whole lot of characters to latch onto. I, I think Apple released three episodes, so I'll probably watch the first three and just see where it goes from there. Um, but apart from that, haven't watched too much. I've been re-watching Santa Clarita Diet, which is the uh, very funny zombie Drew Barrymore, Timothy Oliphant comedy on Netflix. Uh, so if anyone needs some really easy, lighthearted viewing, uh, Santa Clarita Diet on Netflix. What about you? So I've been watching The Class of 07 on Amazon Prime. I finished the season over the weekend. Oh, must be good. Uh, it's very snackable. So they're like half an hour sort of episodes, eight, eight episode series. Emily Browning is in it. I'm trying to remember the other girl. Like, give me a second to get it up. Caitlin like Stacey. That, yeah, you know, that girl from Neighbours. Yeah. But she was also fantastic in that other ABC series, Please Like Me. Oh, yeah, Please Like Me. She was in... Uh... Bigger audiences might know her from Smile as well. She had a pretty big role yeah. in the horror movie Smile. I think the last big Australian thing was that Please Like Me. That was the Josh Thomas series on ABC in like the mid-2010s, like 2014, 2015, which was really sort of niche and really well-liked. And she's great in this. She And private girls' schools are sort of having a moment in Australian TV where Stan is doing a series called Private Education. I haven't seen it, but the whole idea is this idea of trauma in a later on in life when you're sort of triggered by seeing somebody or meeting somebody and it's almost like, oh, that was my high school bully. And this is the sort of same premise, but instead of it being a psychological thriller, this is a dramedy in the poco, which is what they call <laughs> slang for the apocalypse. Um, it's great. I really enjoyed it. Some of the tempo and mood of it is a bit odd in the sense that they're dealing with actually really heavy themes, but then cutting that with quite sort of Aussie 2000s humour sort of thing where it's almost like fucking skull it. Um, is it? And then like, is it, or, I, wanted or to, just, I wanted to ask you, is, is it set in 07, like on their graduation or are they doing a reunion? Before it's when a the, reunion. Okay. And at the reunion, the apocalypse occurs and it's not your typical apocalypse, it's water world. So most of the world is underwater now. And okay. it's a rich private school on the top of a hill. And the Emily Browning character, it starts actually weird because the episode starts with her on The Bachelor and pretty much yeah, okay. fucking blowing up on The Bachelor because she didn't get selected and saying this is all bullshit and having a meltdown. And that went viral. And then she goes into hiding and this is her first public sort of thing that she goes to, <laughs> which is her high school reunion. And then the whole idea is there's all this fallout and then from between these characters because of their high school years. And now they've got to now live with each other because it's the apocalypse and they're living all in a girl's boarding school. Um, 
and it's fun. There's some sort of logical questions about like how does electricity work in this world? Why are the lights still on in some ways? But then they address that because they do um, spin cycling to charge batteries. What a great <laughs> idea, right? Um, so it's really fun and inventive in those parts and some of the human lands and some of it doesn't. Um, but I really enjoyed it. It's a really good Australian series, especially for like a streamer that's not an Australian streamer in the sense that it's not Stan or ABC or something like that. So I really enjoyed that uh, over the weekend. And that's on Amazon, right? Amazon, you can knock it out really quick. How many episodes? Um, eight. Oh, so um, this and is, I suppose it feels real like um, almost British comedy, like knocking out just eight half-hour episodes. Yep. And British comedy is some of the best comedy. And Ka- Caitlin Stacey is excellent in it. She is the old high school bully who is now like self-help influencer yoga like most sort of bullies. instructor yeah but then like they've got like the the high school sort of like school captain who is looking for pre-selection and is still living through school captain i don't know if you've got anything to comment about that being school captain <laughs> Mate, in the past. We, we've peaked too early school captains well that's sort of what is suggested in the show um <laughs> i did sort of think about my our own high school experience since we went to high school it's almost like fuck me i would never want to go to a high school reunion let alone be stuck with people from high school in the apocalypse oh my god we're about 15 years out of high school to show our age and i think there was a high school reunion organized once around the 10 year and no one said they'd go and no one went and we've just never had one and thank god fuck. i i but the thing is that the way that they sort of sell it where we just went to like a normal sort of catholic high school where it's almost like when we say Catholic, it's just like, whatever. It's like, it was in Auburn. It was not that great. It was more It was um, more a public school that made you go to church. Yeah. Um, well, like the public school, like you could get stabbed. Um, like <laughs> we did live in Bankstown, so like we can say we that. We could get stabbed um, on the that, way out. Not in the school, but on the way out, it was a definite possibility. I got egged from memory. Um, <laughs> let's, but, this is, this is going to turn into um, airing grievances out with Justin and Tom. Sure. What else sure. happened at high school? Let's go Festivus, the area of grievances. Um, but I, I thought it was funny because it triggers all these memories. Um, but I think the point of like where the reunion aspect is believable, it's because it was like a rich, exclusive girls' high school. Um, and the other thing I liked, and I'm going to tie this into Daisy Jones, is that the music is in, it, in it is excellent because it's all this mid-2000s, 2007 Australiana music, everything that would have been like Triple J Hottest 100 from like 2005 to 2009, that is pretty much the like the soundtrack for it. And they are hitting everything. Like Sneaky Sound System is in this show about four times and I love it. It, it was a great hit of nostalgia. And what it made it apparent was that the, the late 2000s and mid 2000s are now long enough away that, it's that they are now nostalgia bait. That's where we are. We are now in our 30s that we can now be nostalgic about our teenage years, which is weird. I'm not sure if I actually want to be nostalgic about those years, but it's fun that that era is now open up for nostalgia and like hearing Sneaky Sound System in a playlist or uh, uh, Architects and Helsinki and stuff like that or Sarah Blasco or Missy Higgins and Scar <laughs> is all getting played in the show. And it's almost like I remember watching Rove live. <laughs> so uh, segue, the music's incredible. What? How good is the music in Daisy Jones and the Six? 
I have been smashing it on Spotify. So uh, before I actually get into the show, what Spotify have actually done is you can now listen to the soundtrack of Daisy Jones and the Six, but then you can actually listen to the album that they are actually making in the TV show where the premise of like, I think episodes four to seven is making the album and then episode like eight and what's going to happen next is they're going to go on tour. But the whole idea is on Spotify, you can look up Daisy Jones and the Six and it's a band profile and you get to actually listen to the full album, which then I was Googling and it's almost like Phoebe Bridges played on this and a number of like <laughs> proper musicians produced it and it's a good album. Um, so I've been hitting that hard in the past like two days. Um, the show is thoroughly enjoyable. It's this sort of 1970s melodramatic soap opera character drama sort of thing where it's all love triangles and stuff like that but it's thoroughly enjoyable you can just let it wash over you like the entire sort of aesthetic the production value is so high and the characters are so charming so riley keogh plays the titular uh daisy jones and so riley keogh is also like the the granddaughter or great granddaughter granddaughter of elvis presley so she's actually got the the credentials to actually pull off the singing in it, in it. And then the other one is Sam Clayton, who's an English actor and playing this American sort of guitar lead. And he's fantastic in it as well. And they're such charismatic, character-driven show. Um, it's really great. It's really fun. I don't think it's got the critical reception um, that maybe Amazon or the, the showrunners were hoping for. It's only sort of sitting around 70 or 6 point whatever on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like that. But I think it's just such a great hang. Like we watched two episodes on Friday night when we, me and Sam were both sick and it was just like, this is great. This is, I'd rather watch this than watch a movie. I got the sense jumping in um, to a couple episodes here and there that it's going to, as long as they don't do like what fucking Netflix is doing and just deleting old things from their library, it will have like a really good life when you can like watch it all at once it kind of seems like the kind of show that i know they're doing i think they're doing three episode drops at a time where they're doing it's odd it's like three three and then two yeah okay it's it i liked the way it was made and i liked what like kind of where it was going but it felt really slow when i just kind of dropped in and watched an episode here and there but i feel like when you kind of come back to it and binge it that's what's gonna really be it's totally well made for binging. You can, and because it's in the, the production value is so high and it's that soap opera sort of aspect where it's almost like, I'll just watch it the next episode and not that much changes, but it's the characters that you're sort of following along there rather than a, a, a bigger plot line. Yeah. So um, our two major recommendations right now are the really fun hangs of, um, of, uh, Daisy Jones and the Six and Class of 07 or be like me and be depressed on the weekend and go watch a climate change show that pretty much tells you you're fucked <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it. But not in like the inconvenient truth way where it's almost like maybe we can fix this of like the nope. mid-2000s. It's like, guess what? We're now in our 30s. We didn't fix it. That was 20 years ago and you fucked up. So this is where it's at right now. Um, I do want to ask you before we move on to the next thing, uh, still talking about what we're watching, um, Mando. Thoughts on 
was it the covert? The covert. Or the convert. So yeah. my my thought, uh, I said this after episode two. I said I opened with Is Mando still good? Um and you defended it uh, a little bit, said episode two was good. Do you think Mando's still good after episode three? I thought the first ten minutes was the best scene of the year. Yep. And then the following forty minutes was garbage. That was, uh, we won't spend too long on it, but that's uh, the uh, spoilers for Mando episode three. The space battle at the start is some of the best action and tension um, all year. That was absolutely phenomenal. And then they did some of the best space sort of fighters, jets. It's like Top Gun in space. And it's one of the best sort of scenes, not just in TV of the year, but it's also just in like Star Wars canon. It was just really great. And then uh, the story of Dr. Pershing um, was essentially uh, Andor light. Uh, as big fans of Andor, we loved Andor. And that was like them trying to do their own version where they go off and kind of show the background of the galaxy and give more information to what's going on and stuff. But it was just nothing like uh, Andor and Tony Gilroy. It was like a Dave Filoni did like his home movie version of an Andor episode. That's what it was trying to do. I've got such a hot take on this. Like I fucking hated it that I, I, because the show took such a leap away from being Mando and did this sort of side question about Pershing, the doctor who was the cloning doctor in season one, when they yeah. had baby Yoda or Grogu looking for the M counts, baby. Fuck. Well, I didn't mind that the midi chlorian sort of thing, harking back to the prequel series. But they made Coruscant, which was is this sort of gigantic center of the universe city, to seem so fucking lame. Like they made the New Republic, which is the good guys, seem you guys aren't cool. I'd rather go hang out with the absolute evil guys that ran the universe back in Andor. At least they've got some good clubs to hang out on. Where what <laughs> you've got here is the soundtrack of like a children's DVD menu screen it, and then weird ice creams. Yeah, it was, it was essentially uh, the Mandalorian is definitely a little bit for kids and Andor was definitely mostly for adults. And that was well, the Andor. Mando was supposed to be for all ages. It is, it is. And I think they kind of tried that with some heady dialogue about essentially comping these guys, the, um, ex-empire people to nazis and the nuremberg trial and like we'll offer you amnesty if you work for us like that's not something a kid's going to get but it's also not something that's particularly interesting when they do it in front of a lame green screen uh coruscant and show like a mountaintop to try to show us how big this planet is but then they walk the same two corridors for 40 minutes and i also thought like what is dave filoni doing with this show like I thought this show was supposed to be Kurosawa in space and like this gunslinger like it was in season one. And now in season two, we had some doubts in season three. There had some great moments, but it was more like, I don't get this. Who is this for? And then can I just make one note about like what like John Favreau, we know Iron Man involved in the Marvel universe. What else has John done? Um, speaking John swing- in the first person though yeah John good friend John uh, did Swingers uh, which was very good he's been like guest second lead in a lot of things as a writer director I can't really think of what else he did apart from like Chef Chef shepherding in the, the Marvel and Universe he, and he's got that TV he's got that TV show 
on Netflix where it's like the offshoot of Chef where he actually just does cooking and stuff like that, right? That's, that's so his, uh, I thought passion. John Favreau's... Yeah, I thought John Favreau's contribution for this episode was ex-Nazis talking about biscuits like like it's an episode of Chef, pretty much. <laughs> it's almost like, how good were those biscuits, man? I love those biscuits. You know, in those little packets, they were great. And it's almost like, is what is this shit? Yeah, it was weird. I'm, we, I mean, we love the Mandalorian, so we're going to stick with it. But um, it, if the next, if next week's episode is a slump again, then I think the show's in big trouble. And it's also, I don't know if it's because people didn't watch the Book of Boba Fett, or they're just kind of a bit over it and they missed the whole gunslinging western of the first series. But this is rating currently, even though it's hard to tell because it's a streamer, it's rating lower than Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan did and like 50% lower than season two did so far. So I think it's showing that a lot of people are a bit sick of it. And also Mando is so important to Disney because Mando is the biggest export, current export of Lucasfilm and they Disney bought Lucasfilm for an absolute mint and it's almost like, well, this IP has to work. Like the Mandalorian would be the biggest show on Disney Plus, and it's almost like if it's tanking, or if it doesn't make sense to the casual Star Wars fans like me and you, who are the people who are geared up to watch Mando and are actually pushing the subscriptions, what does that say about it? It's 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 troubling what's happening on that show. Where it's who's taking notes here who's saying yes this is fine well that's the biggest thing is that there's apparently no notes it's a writer's room of two and it's uh dave filoni who uh ostensibly not to diminish the art but he's essentially an animator he's made all the star wars animated series um and john favreau george lucas's like protege yeah and then john favreau and they apparently have like permission to do whatever the hell they want uh so there is no notes and no writer's room so i think that's possibly starting to show This weekend, uh, we have two of the biggest shows of the last few years coming back. That is Succession and Yellow Jacket. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll talk about them. And we're back. uh, As we mentioned just before the break, uh, two of the biggest dramas, one that everyone probably knows about and one that probably not a lot of people know about, both come back this week, uh, Yellow Jacket Season 2 on Friday and Succession Season 4 on Monday. Uh, Yellow Jackets is on Paramount Plus and Succession is on Binge. I know you love Yellow Jackets, but I know that we both love Succession and it's one of the biggest shows in the world. So hit me. Succession three seasons down and the news that the fourth will be its last. What do you think? Cousin Greg's coming out on top, right? Cousin Greg better come out on top. If, if Cousin <laughs> Greg doesn't come out on top, like it's going to break people's hearts. Poor lanky son of a bitch. I'm pretty sure he's now sort of hitched his wagon to Wamsgabs um, in a sort of a, a weirdly sort of homoerotic way. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think nobody's got a, an idea. If you haven't seen Succession, what we're talking about it. Um, it's got Kieran Culkin, Brian Cox, Australia's Sarah Snook, a Shivroy, our favourite boy, Jeremy Strong, <laughs> your boy. Um, it is the Leviathan of um, 
uh, television at the moment and it's coming back for its final season. It was a surprise um, in the past sort of fortnight or so. It was sort of leaked within media that this is the final season. There was sort of rumours that they've got like one or two seasons to go, but I didn't think this was going to be it and they've got it. They've got, I think it's eight or nine episode run and it's all coming to the culmination that the the offspring, the kids are now on the outer of the Roy family under Logan and the the Swedes are in. It's um who's playing this the Swede? Uh a Skarsgard brother. I can't remember which one. Alexander? Does it matter? It doesn't matter. They're all very good actors. Um yeah, it was super interesting that this is kind of one of the biggest shows in the world and creates the most conversation every time it's on. And they it's the story of it's kind of like a Murdoch comp for people who haven't watched it, um, where Brian Cox is like the patriarch of this big wealthy family and runs kind of like a hard right news channel. And it's all about him getting older and passing it on to the kids. A lot of backstabbing, a lot of terrible people, but incredible one-liners and very funny drama. Um, And people thought, yeah, we might have two or three years. He's got to name someone eventually. And two weeks before the next season's due to come out, they're like, by the way, this is the last season. So I think the hype train for this, um, if, if you've got time catch up on it because this the next 10 weeks of the last season of Succession is all anyone's going to be talking about, I think. And Succession comes from such an interesting origin where you've got Adam McKay is producing it. This is Adam McKay who did like Anchorman and like the Will Ferrell 2000s movies, now doing this sort of semi-serious drama, tragic comedy, and then pairing up that with um, Jesse Armstrong, the writer, who used to write shows like Peep Show, this sort of British sitcom, but they're tackling this Murdoch light or similar to what Daisy Jones is doing where it's almost like the inspiration is uh, Fleetwood Mac, but it's not necessarily sticking to that story. And same thing here where it's the Murdochs, but it's not necessarily sticking to a narrative or timeline of what's happened with the Murdochs because that's still up in play as well. He's going around again for a fifth time, you know. Who? Oh, yes. Uh, Breaking news again. We could have done that as our breaking news. Australia's own Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch, at the age of 92, quote unquote, has finally found love with his fifth wife. I'm so happy for him. What a guy. It's good that he got there in the end. How many love interests has Logan had within the show? Is it just Um, two or three? Three. It was his wife and then it was Marsha. Marsha. And now it's his much younger assistant, um so hey maybe they'll go with the news and put give him one more before the end of the show i think it's fitting that we've talked about um the presidents leading into this episode because i think that's where the season i think is going to power towards is towards this election run where the whole idea is last season we had this idea that they've the roys have picked their candidate so fox news or um what is the show what is the what is their tv network in succession called uh, just, you can just call them Fox News because they're pretty much just Fox News. Roy Star Waco. Roy Star Waco. Waco. Waystar Waco. No, Waystar Royco. <laughs> Waystar Royco. Roykstar Waystar. <laughs> Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Succession, season four, final season, and. The last one, uh, we've mentioned the name a couple of times, Yellow Jackets. Uh, So quick summary of Yellow Jackets. Um, Don't want to spoil season one because this is a very much a kind of mystery theory show. Just go back and watch season one. 
10 one-hour episodes, but the premise is that um, a girls' soccer team in the 90s is flying to take part in nationals and their plane crashes out in the rocky mountainous north somewhere. Uh, It's not really clear where they crash. And it tells the story across two timelines. So essentially the girls in the wilderness trying to survive and then 25 years later, a selection of girls um, in the first season, there's four of them uh, living kind of supposedly normal lives 25 years later, but weird shit starts to happen in their lives in 2019. And we start to get hints that it might be spiritual or mystical or something otherwise. Um, Without spoiling the first season, I can just read you the uh, synopsis which kind of tells a very interesting story because someone who's listening to this who wants to watch it will go read it anyway. I'm not sure if you've ever read this. Yellow Jackets tells the narrative of a team of wildly talented high school girls soccer players who survive a plane crash in the wilderness. The series chronicles their descent from a complicated but thriving team to warring cannibalistic clans. Love it. Absolutely love it. That as a synopsis can tell you everything you need to know about this amazing show. Um, Christina Ricci, 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 Christina, um, Christina, first name basis. Christina, our good friend Christina uh, was nominated for an Emmy for this, same as um, Melanie Linsky. Melanie Linsky, Melanie Linsky, who we talked about on uh, The Last of Us. They are phenomenal. It's really, really dark uh, out in the wilderness in terms of what's happening and whether they're just losing their minds and starting to turn on each other or there's some kind of mystical thing going on influencing them. But then the like present day stuff is kind of quite funny and kind of really domestic. Um, Melanie Linsky's hilarious uh, in that regard. So yeah, can't spell too much more, but I think this one was a bit of a, a slow burn and not, not a lot of people kind of watching it as it happened. But it's found an audience later on. Yeah, big time. In the years since it was released, I think a lot of people picked it up, particularly because of its Emmy noms. And so this starts on Friday, uh, if um, teeing up to be another massive season. And I think they have a, the writers of the show have a five season plan, which doesn't doesn't necessarily mean it will happen, but- I almost don't want five seasons. It's interesting that they like, we know what we want to do over five seasons. And then the first season was such a hit that the network renewed them for season two and three simultaneously. So we'll definitely, we're getting two, we'll definitely get a third and go from there. You only watched this recently. So tell, yeah, tell me what what was, what was your binge experience? Because I watched this, I rewatched it recently, but originally I watched it uh, week by week as it came out. We smashed it out over a period of about two weeks and loved it. I really liked the sort of gnarly 90s Nirvana grunge aesthetic that was playing in those sort of flashback sort of things where it was based in the 90s before the plane crash and then after the plane crash as well and how things sort of turned and took on a supernatural cult vibe. I tell you what, though, this whole idea of an all-female feminist cast working with these high school vibes and then dealing with it afterwards in an apocalyptic scenario (laughs) is working really well for television at the moment. It's a real theme right now, isn't it? I think it works. um, And I think 
because you're looking at an all-female environment rather than sort of, well, no, there are men in, in the show as well who are involved with the plane crash as well. But looking at these ways that women relate to each other in this experience and the ways that they react in di different ways. So I think not trying to come across as just like, oh, women are different. But the whole idea is like <laughs> it's it's taking it in a far more interesting way where if this was men, it would descend so much more quicker. I yeah. Thought. Yes, they've they've at least in the first season, found a, a big way to deal with their problems. Um, you find pretty early on in the present timeline that they had to do some pretty fucked up shit to survive. Uh, you, you find out in the first episode that they're in the wilderness for 19 months. And I think the first season covers off maybe like two months. So they got a lot, a lot of months to go. Men are not great collaborators either, I find. Working in a boys' school environment, I don't think they'd make it out. <laughs> Look, there's uh, plenty of Lord of the Flies-esque films to suggest that men would not make it out at all. Um, just to wrap it up, Elijah Wood is coming on in the second season, who I love, uh, Lord of the Rings, Frodo, Elijah Wood. And it's kind of teased throughout the series that the four women might not be the only ones that survived. And there's been some news about that, which I won't spoil in case you want to go watch the first season first and then check everything out. But yeah, please go watch this show. Really, really good 10 hours spent on the first season and second season coming. Do you have any more on your hype or are we happy to wrap it up? No, I think I'm good. I think I've said everything I wanted to say except like Dave Filoni fix your show. Fix Mandalorian. We love it so much, but not at the moment. What are you doing? I think it would be good if we could actually see the characters. Maybe that could help. I don't know. What do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, there was a really worrying sign at the end of the third episode that uh, Bogatan, played by the very attractive Katie Sackoff, has been bathed and welcomed into the into the clan. So she might never take off her helmet again either, which um, a worrying. Pedro Pascal, as we know, he's the flavor of the month. He's got a wonderful face. Let's see it, please. Please. If you're going to pay him that much to do voiceover work, can we please see his face? Look, he's he has also been bathed and welcome back. So put all thoughts of Pedro Pascal's beautiful face on hold because I don't think we're going to see it in a very long time. All right, good talking to you and thank you, everyone. We will see you next week.